Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Back Nine Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. My name is Carlos Torres. Every week, I'm alongside my co-host Fred Alvader, who will join me pretty soon. Uh, we're running a little bit off schedule today, but hey, we're going to be here for you like every week we are at 7 p.m. at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And Fred has just joined me. Fred, hi, how are you today? Welcome. Hey, Carlos. Uh, yeah, we're going to go on just a little bit later tonight, but uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, hey, uh, you know, uh, I had a very enjoyable trip to the uh, Quivira Club in Cabo San Lucas last week. Uh, the course designed by Jack Nicklaus Open in 2014, one of the most scenic and picturesque courses I have ever played. You know, I never like to take pictures while I'm playing, but I found myself enraptured by the awe-inspiring views. When my first round was done, I borrowed a cart and went back on the course to take about 50 pictures, and that is the absolute first for me. Um, if anyone is looking for something a little different for your winter golf, check out uh, Quivira Los Cabos. That's Q-U-I-V-I-R-A-L-O-S-C-A-B-O-S, QuiviraLosCabos.com. Stay at the nearby Puerto Benito uh, Pacifica Hotel. Absolutely beautiful. So, uh, yep, Cabo San Lucas, great place, Carlos. I don't know if you've ever been down there at the southern end of the Baja Peninsula. It's absolutely fabulous. The water is so blue. It's so beautiful down there. You know what? This is the last, next to last show of 2019. This year has gone so fast. We are previewing the President's Cup this week, and we'll announce our 10 biggest moments in golf for the year next week with our good friend Kieran Clark joining us. Can't wait for that. That always We wind up the year every year like that. But, Carlos, this week in golf, we've got some really good stories to talk about. Uh, Patrick Reed laid another huge egg in the Bahamas. I don't know what is wrong with that guy. He's got some mental issues. Uh, Matt Jones won down under in the Australian Open. Uh, we've got everything you need to know about the President's Cup from Royal Melbourne. And as always, there's a lot more golf to talk about. So let's go. Let's get after it, Carlos. Let's get started right away. And every week we talk, <coughs> we need, I'm sorry, we initiate with the weekend vaccine where every week we recap the weekend's action on all the major tours. And uh, wow, we got to start with the PGA Tour about the Hero World Challenge, and everybody was expecting to see what Tiger Woods would do. You know, he just did 82 when he won in Japan and Sozo Championship, and was expected to see, hey, let's see if that can transfer and make number 83. But it was Henrik Stenson who finally won his first title in over two years after beating John Ram by a single stroke at the Hero World Challenge. Stenson was holding the overnight lead. He shot a final round of 66, six under, for his first victory since the 2017 Wyndham Championship. You know, it's, it was a roller coaster round for the Swede, who bogeyed the par five nines. Then he made huge par saves on the 11th and the 14th, and the tournament winning shot, definitely. It has to be. Came at the par 515, where a fairway would 
to inches set up the easiest of eagles to then reach at that point 18 under par so it was a near albatross that he hit there at the 15 if you haven't watched it go on social media at least the PGA Tour has it there on their Twitter page it has been a fairly quiet year for him standards for his standards you know he's now 43 year old finished 90th in the 2018 2019 FedEx Cup standings dropped to 43rd in the world maybe he said well I'm 43 I'm gonna drop to 43rd in the world we'll see but anyway now due to the hero world challenge huge official world golf ranking points he's back up to 26 with his win <clears throat> and then after the the tournament when he was asked he was saying that it was a very average season but he finished it on a high uh well it's not a season yet he's like me to me this was like the last tournament of the year to me this is the end of season but actually it's the second season anyway he hasn't played for more than 75 percent of his capacity he said over the last couple of years, and uh, it it really shows. We have talked about his many injuries, battling and trying. He he battled surgery, came back. So this year he was just up and down, just like that round. But he finally won the race to Dubai champion and defending champion of this tournament, John Ram, who also is the world number three. He finished in second place after a 66 himself. The Spaniard finishes 17-under after four birdies and an eagle with Ram believing he was tied for the lead with one to play. Then he found the green and two-putted for par, but it was actually one behind Stenson. So he was like, oh, I played it 20 feet short of the pin, thinking I was at least tied for the lead, so I would go two-putt and, you know, go extra holes. No, John, it wasn't. Still, it was an, another impressive result for John, 25 years old, who said that he would rate his year 9 out of 10. Tournament, Tiger Wood, tournament host Tiger Woods battled back from an opening round of level par to finish in fourth at 14 under. He shot a 69, 3 under with four birdies and one bogey in the final round. And entering the back nine, he was in a 3 way tie for the lead it was like oh my god there it is 83 it's just waiting to happen i even text you uh fred hey he's on a three-way tie for the lead oh my god but anyway he faded (laughs) and he didn't he wasn't able to 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 win it he finished with four birdies and one bogey in the final round he was one behind third place finisher patrick reed who um How can I say it? Uh, I think he grabbed (laughs) most of the headlines from the Bahamas after a controversial uh, two-stroke penalty during the third round. But we we, we will talk about that in a little while. while, So I'm going to not say a word about that for now because uh, we have the words from Cameron Smith. And I think there's going to be something personal going on. <clears throat> this next week in, uh, in the President's Cup. But, Fred, uh, overall, a good showing for Henrik Stenson, who really, after two years, finally showed what he's capable of. Uh, I don't know if it will translate into a good year for him next year, but uh, so far, he did very well, and this is what we have been accustomed. Good iron play, end-to-end for Henrik Stenson, a very good win. Yeah, before I get into a couple other things, uh, just look at the leaderboard. Uh, Justin Rose had a very good week. Uh, seems like he is just 
so consistent week in and week out. Uh, really, really got to love how that guy plays. Uh, another thing I was curious to see was uh, Ricky Fowler actually played pretty decent. Uh, he ended up uh, top 10, uh, ninth to be exact. He was 10 under for the uh, four rounds. So just had a 672 on Saturday. He was in the 60s the, the other three rounds. So pretty consistent for Ricky. That should bode well for the President's Cup this week after taking a couple months off. But, yeah, Carlos, um, uh, one more thing I want to touch base on. Um, you know, we mentioned it last week that they were going to do a thing with birdies and eagles. Um, it was uh, $500 for every birdie, $1,000 for every eagle, $2,500 for a hole-in-one. 18 players in the field made 337 birdies, 16 eagles over the four days. They raised $184,500 for the One Bahamas Fund from this thing, uh, in addition to all the other money that was generated for Woods Foundation and all the other stuff that they give to. But uh, I, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, that, w- that was a nice deal. But So let's jump into this other thing just a little bit. Um, Patrick Reed, uh, I know everybody's seen it. Um, that is not a bad camera angle. I'm sorry, Patrick. Um, I, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're smoking. But, uh, man, you just broke one of the cardinal rules in golf. You play it where it lays. Yeah, it's a waste area. Yeah, you can ground your club, but you can't move sand behind the ball. I'm sorry. You can't do that. Um, and and it, what's worse, I mean, it makes him look so bad. So if it's just a regular tournament, you take your penalty, you move on, no big deal. But it's, 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 a, it's an 18-man event. It's a no-cut event. You're going to make a big check. Why would you do this? And then the second thing for all this thing, you're playing in the President's Cup this week. Um, they, it's got to be uneasy in the team room. Because all these other, the other 11 guys on this team are now guilty by association with a cheater. So do you prop up your teammate or do you disassociate yourself with him? Who wants to play with this guy? Who wants to be around him? Who wants to stick up for him? This is this is a joke. This guy has become a joke, Carlos. This is even worse than John Daly, I, I think, maybe. <laughs> well, for those who don't know, let's uh, put into perspective what happened. Patrick Reed was penalized two strokes after his third round of the Hero World Challenge because for improving his lie in a waste area. He was seen on TV sweeping sand away from his ball on two separate practice swings with the video going viral on social media. So he was leading by two at the time of the incident on the par 5 11th at Albany there in the Bahamas. The penalty ultimately cost him a chance at the tournament as a day later he finished two behind the winner, Hendrik Stenson. So he broke what was rule 8.1A4, which states that golfers cannot remove or press down sand or loose soil to improve the conditions affecting the stroke. He accepted his penalty. He blamed it, like you were saying, on a camera angle. He said that uh, it was on a full footprint and that he felt that his club was that far behind the ball when he was taking a practice swing. So... uh, it was obviously, I mean, it was hitting sand there, but he said that he didn't feel any drag. 
Of course, you didn't. You know it was. But then they brought it up to him and the TV, and they said that apparently he says that they didn't have another angle, so they had to say, oh, yeah, you were improving the lie as far uh, enough from the ball. So uh, he says, he says again, that he doesn't ever put the club directly behind the ball in a situation like that as he's scared of moving it. But his, <laughs> and here yeah. it goes to one thing that, one thing that you've, uh, that we've talked about and you, and you have emphasized a lot, Fred, is like when there is intent or not, right? And he says that intent is a big part, but that because there was only one camera angle, it was a 50-50 battle when he's being assessed for anything like that. Now he comes again, the, the question about was it intentionally or not? That is really where all of this is being, uh, let's say, it, uh, debated towards. Because we all think, and I think the, the PGA Tour uh, officials as well say, hey, there was intent. Uh, you know, and then he said that uh, Slugger White afterwards said, well, no, it wasn't taken into account. And also said that Reed could not have been more of a gentleman, supposedly, when, when everything happened. Of course, he was caught. <laughs> what else is he going to do? He's going to, you know, throw his club away and say, no, you're all wrong. I didn't intend to that to do this. Uh, you, you better show me an angle. Patrick, this is not the NFL where they have 10 different angles to show the, the, the play, and still they get it wrong. But in this case, Fred, even Cameron Smith accused him of being a, a cheater. He calls him out, and he said that it was a BS excuse. Uh, he was not buying for twice brushing the sand in practice swings. And I, I'm going to say what uh, the Australian said to the Australian AP. He said, if you make a mistake maybe once, you could maybe understand, but to give a bit of a BS response, like the camera angle, that's pretty up there. That was what Cameron Smith said. So now that brings your other angle for it. They're going to be playing in the President's Cup in Australia, and now 11 people on his team, his 11 team members, are going to have to answer questions about not how they're going to play. What do they think about the international uh, team? No, they're going to have to talk about what happened with Patrick Reed. I mean, all around you see in the different uh, sports pages from golf, and you see Patrick Reed, cheater, he did this, he did that. You don't see about the President Cup or how Tiger Woods is planning to put his team or anything like that. So, to me, intent or not, Patrick, you did it, you know, and uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know, Fred. It, it was intentional or not. Hey, he did it, and, uh, oh, man, I don't want to call him out, but, uh, like, Cameron did because I really don't 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 have the insight. But, you know, there are, there are opportunities out there, and uh, there are people that bring things into themselves, and I think this was one of those. The problem is, Patrick has some history. We can go back to college. His ex-teammates in college, his ex-coaches in college, say the guy's a student. Um, you know, he's been called out before for questionable uh, things on the golf course. 
This is not the first time. He's got a history of this. Um, Brando Chambly uh, called Reed's actions repugnant. Um, Chambly also said that he puts the U.S. President's Cup team in an untenable situation, which we've kind of alluded to. Um, and all the buildup is not maybe about the President's Cup so much. It's about who's going to play with Reed or, you know, Reed's uh, penalty issues and all these kind of things and cheating. The Aussies are all over him on this thing. It's uh, it's really ugly. Uh, this is this is not good. It's a it's a really bad look for Patrick Reed and by association now the American Presidents Cup team. So Carlos, I I just I'm gonna one final thing. I think we've kind of beat this thing to death. But I, I he's glad. I mean it, he should be lucky that I am not Jay Monahan. Uh, because he would be looking at a DQ and a six-month suspension. Um, this this is uh, this is not good. And I'll bet he's earned a trip to the principal's office. I'll bet I'll bet Monahan lays into him. Uh, this is just a, a player of his caliber on TV. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. That is the most basic rule in golf. You play it where it lies, even if it's in a waste area. You can, yeah, ground your club. That's fine. Take a practice swing. But you can't move the sand behind the dirt, the sand behind the ball to improve your lie. Can't do it. Um, yeah, I, I, this, is, this is a really bad look for Patrick Reed, and I'm going to have a real tough time rooting for that guy or caring about anything that he does in the future. And you know what? He was kind of winning himself back. You know, what he did in the Ryder Cup was absolutely uh, inexcusable, you know, knifing everybody in the back after that thing. But now that's kind of blown over, you know, we're, we're you know, uh, several months away from that. And so, or a year away from that, people can get away, get over it. But uh, then he goes and does this, uh, you know, a year later, a little over a year later. It's just, it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, Carlos. I, I, it sickened me when I when I looked at the video of it. To be quite honest with you. Okay, just to, <clears throat> I, I want to take another angle to this just because before we we wrap it up. But uh, one thing that you mentioned is right. He was kind of revamping his image. He was uh, making, like he has said, he has led his clubs to the talking on the field. So people, even when he was going to be picked for the Ryder cup, it was like, I mean, for the international, for the president's cup, um, he was actually, everybody was counting on, Oh yeah. Patrick Reed. Yeah. Patrick Reed should be in there. Yeah. He's one of the, the ones that is going to be on the team. There was like no discussion about Patrick Reed, not making the team. Now that being said, there's the other side because there's people that have defended him. And one very big name is Rory McIlroy, who stood up for him <clears throat> in saying, you know, that the, he said that when he was speaking on the Golf Channel, where he said he doesn't think it would be a big deal if it wasn't Patrick Reed. He says that Patrick has uh, faced uh, criticisms on social media, as well from uh, fellow pros, uh, but he says, and I'm going to quote him, it's almost like a lot of people within the game 
it's almost like a hobby to sort of kick him when he's down. I think the live shot isn't as incriminating as the slow-mo. It's hard because you try to give the player the benefit of the doubt, right? He's in there. He's trying to figure out what to what the way to play the shot. And uh, it's almost like it's obliviousness to it rather than anything intentful in terms of trying to get away with anything. That's what Rory McIlroy said, and it doesn't make – he said finally it doesn't make it right what he did. Uh, but, again – he defends him on the on the way, and there and he has a point. If it wasn't Patrick Reed, would we be so harsh with this as we're being right now? Uh, what what what's your take on that? If we wouldn't have been Patrick Reed, would we still be talking ten minutes after we started this conversation? First of all, we would never see Jack Nicholas, and I really don't think we'd see Rory McIlroy. We certainly wouldn't see Tiger Woods doing that. They would never, never, never do that. Um, yes, it would be the same with everybody else. It's worse. It is worse because Reed has a history and of the image that he has put him, brought on himself over the past five or six years in professional golf. Um, Carlos, I, I, no, I don't care who it would have been. Uh, we would have, we, I would, we would be all over him. That, I mean, he knew what he was doing. He absolutely knew what he was doing. There's no question. He's thinking, well, if I just move a little bit of the sand behind the ball, and I can just make it look like it's a backswing, nobody's going to notice this. Um, you know, I'll just brush this back here a little bit, and I'll be able to get at the back of the ball. I'll be okay. When a player walks up to the ball, whether it's in the rough, wherever it is, they're looking at the back of the ball. They're looking to see if they can get a club face onto that ball. If there's a little piece of grass, if there's a little piece of sand, if there's a little rock behind that ball, that affects them being able to get the club face onto the ball. And they can't control the ball if they can't get the club face onto it, if there's something in between. And there was going to be a little bit of sand because he was going to have to hit that through that little bit of sand to get to that ball as it was sitting down that shoe print or that depression, whatever it was. And he intentionally moved that. There is no question in my mind. I watched it several times, um, and there is no question in my mind he did that intentionally. Um, I, I just, no, Carlos, I don't care who it would have been. We would have been all over it. But it is worse because of Patrick Reed's history. All right, let's leave it there. Let's move on to the next one, and let's talk about the European Tour. Uh, just a couple of months after his twin brother, Nikolai, nearly won the KLM Open, the 18-year-old Rasmus Hoshgard won the first of what should be many European Tour victories uh, this past week at the Afrasia Bank Mauritius Open. It was a close affair all day with all several with several players battling it out at the top of the leaderboard. Rasmus needed a birdie in the 72nd hole to get into a playoff alongside Renato Panatore and Antoine Rosner, and he showed nerves of steel to do so. For the third time in as many years, the tournament was going to extra holes. On the first trip back to the par five last hole, Hoshgart missed an eagle pot and had to settle for a tying birdie with Rosner 
but he did not make the same mistake on the third playoff hole as he made the eagle putt to win his first European Tour title. In the process, he became the third youngest player to win on the European Tour after Matteo Manacero and Danny Lee. He also made history in several other ways, too. I mean, he was born in 2001. He became the first winner of a PGA or European Tour born in the 2000s, and he also became the fastest first-time winner on the European Tour from Denmark. He won in just his fifth start, as opposed to Thomas Bjorn, who won in his 24th. I, Fred, it was an amazing showing by uh, Rasmus Hoshgard and his uh, twin brother, Nikolai. They're showing a lot of promise. Uh, there has been other, they're twins, and they say that they want to play in the Ryder Cup together. Uh, I mean, in the last 20 years or so, Denmark has produced several players who have graced golf's very big stages. Thomas Bjorn has had 15 European Tour wins and played in three Ryder Cups. Thornbier Olsen, Ryder Cup debut in Paris last year, culminated in the demolition of Jordan Spieth, and Lucas Berregigard has become a firm fixture in the world's top 50. Now seems like there is uh, another two that we're going to have to see, uh, and this is uh, Rasmus and Nikolai Hoshgard, but Rasmus really showed nerves of steel when he went there for that extra holes and won for the first time on the European Tour. Big field or not, he got done. Yeah, it wasn't much of a, a, a quality field, you could say, or you know, there was no real uh, high-ranking players. Um, Soren Yeltsin uh, was down there in 13th and tied with Thomas Peters. So, you know, Thomas Peters, we keep saying his name, um, you know, maybe he's going to get something good happen. Um, you've got um, uh, Coetzee. We haven't called his name for a long time. He was at 21st here in this event. Marcel Seam, we haven't talked about him much in the last uh, couple years. Um, you know, just uh, as you look down through the leaderboard, there's uh, Gonzalo Fernandez Castaño was in there. Um, just, uh, just not much of familiar names as you look down the the leaderboard at all in Mauritius. So uh, uh, good win. Congratulations to Hoshgard. Um, but, um, you, know, you know, maybe he can use this as a stair step to have a really big year on the European Tour, Carlos. Very possible. We'll see. And that's a name, along with his brother Nikolai, that we'll be keeping an eye on. Now let's move on to see the PNC father and son where Jason Langer made a 16-foot eagle putt on the first hole of a playoff Sunday to give Father Bernhardt his fourth victory in the PNC father-son challenge. The Langers closed with a distant, with a second straight 12-under 60 to match Retief and Leo Guzin and Tom and Thomas Lehman atop the leaderboard in the scramble event for major champions at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Club in Orlando. After the 62-year-old Bernhard Langer hit the fairway on the par 5-18s, the 19-year-old Jason hit a three-wood approach from 270 yards to set up the winning putt. And Bernhard was asked about Jason, who 
also won with his father in 2014, returning uh, next year. And he said, if somebody wins, they get the chance to defend, but we'll, we'll have a whole year to discuss. So now Bernard is one behind Raymond Floyd on the victory list in the event. The Goosens, two strokes ahead after an opening 58, had a 62. The Layman's shot a 59. Annika and Father Tom Sorenstam had a 71 to tie for last in the 20-mile 20 team field. Annika was the first female ever to play in the event, but it was a good weekend for them at least to show up there. It was nice to see her, Fred, with her with her father Tom. Uh, but overall, another win for Berna Langer. You know, uh, so I got to see uh, a fair amount of the final round of this thing, and. Um, uh, it's always fun to watch the kids, of course, and how the, you know they react with react with their dads and, and the uh, mannerisms and all these kind of things. But uh, I tell you what, uh, Jason Langer, he's playing uh, college golf at Penn. Um, he hit some quality shots. He was putting lights out, really putting well. Uh, matter of fact, Bernard was putting first, and Jason was following up. So. And then, you know, Lehman, the Lehman's, uh, uh, Tom Lehman's son, Thomas, he looks like a really good player. On that par five, they were the only ones uh, that used uh, Thomas's drive, and then he hit like a, uh, must have been like a two or three iron or something in there, maybe maybe in the four iron, where everybody else was hitting uh, hybrids. Uh, they were about 20 yards ahead of Goosens. The Goosens were about 20 yards ahead of Liner, which they had to use Bernhard's drive because uh, Jason had pushed his drive into the bunker, uh, same as he had uh, last hole in regulation there, just to decide it in the rough. But um, uh, Jason just hit a quality shot. It was a beautiful golf swing uh, on that approach shot in the uh, playoff. And he nailed that uh, hybrid in there and just rolled just past the hole. Then they got a nice read off of the Goosen's putt, who they were right on the same line, and they just stepped up and drained a putt. No big deal. Um, it was it was really cool stuff, uh, you know. And just a simple little golf tournament like this, a father-son deal, or, you know, with Annika and her father. Uh, uh, Jerry Pate was there with his daughter. Um, you know, father-child, however you want to say it. It was uh, really pretty good stuff and uh, always a fun event. No matter where they finish in the field, it's it's fun to see these guys uh, playing with their children and uh, a lot of fun. Congratulations to the Lamas. Fred, tell us about the Champions Tour Q School. What happened this weekend? Yeah, Shane Birch, uh, you know, he was out on tour for several years. He was the medalist at the Champions Tour Q School final stage last week. Made a six-foot par putt on the 18th hole to uh, finish off a 65, got to 17 under. Um, he earns full exempt status for 2020 on the Champions Tour, along with Pong Chai Dai Di, Robert Carlson, Robert Bird, uh, Robin Bird, and Stephen Leaney. In 2018, Birch made the cut in just two of 13 starts on tour uh, sanctioned tournaments. Um he said that 2019 was the first season since 95 he didn't play on the Corn Ferry Tour or the PGA Tour. And that Friday was just his 12th competitive round all year. So evidently he'd been saving himself. He was fresh. He was ready to go. Uh, Jai D made the biggest final round jump. Uh, he uh, jumped up 11 spots with a 62 on Sunday. Of the 
qualifiers, Leaney is the only player that was exempt in the final stage. All the others had to work their way through the uh, early stages. Um, in addition to the top five earning fully exempt sta- status, players that finished 6th through 30th are exempt from pre-qualifying for the open qualifiers in 2020. Um, also in the uh, final stage was Brando Chambly. He took a kind of took a swing at maybe getting a uh, uh, Champions Tour card. He is 57, so he's you know that's a pretty tough ask for him. Uh, he did finish 70 in the uh, 76 men that did complete the tournament. A couple guys withdrew. Uh, he finished up plus eight. So, but he did um, he did almost have a uh, hole in one. Uh, came really, really close. Uh, kind of an exciting moment there. But, uh, but yeah, Brandel can still get around. And, and just because he finished down in 70th out of 76, uh, that's still pretty good out of all the uh, millions of over 50-year-old guys that play golf in this country. Uh, to, be, to be among this group, just to even play it up, tee it up in the tournament's pretty good. But um, so, Brandel, congrats to you, really, for giving it a shot. And uh, so Shane Birch, he's the top qualifier, and we're going to see uh, five new guys on the uh, PGA Tour Champions next year, Carlos. All right. Let's say now, you know, cruising for most of the final round and a leader after the second and third, Matt Jones suddenly needed to make a big putt on his final hole for a second Australian Open title. He came through, making a testing four-foot Par putt on the 18th to hold off Louis Eusheisen by one stroke after a 269. Jones, who is a member at the host of the host Australian Golf Club and won his first national title there in 2015, had a 72-hole total of 15 under 269. Eusheisen, playing for the first time in Sydney, finished second after a 66. The South African eagled the 18th after hitting his second shot to 15 feet, making things interesting for Jones at the end. Japanese amateur Takumi Kanaya finished with a third, tied for third with Australian Aaron Pike. Jones, Kanaya, and Pike qualified for next year's British Open by finishing among the top three who were not already qualified. Former British Open champion Usheisen was already exempt for the next for next year's tournament from July 16 to the 19 at Royal St George. It's Jones' third qualifying spot for the British Open via top finish in his home Open. Kanaya said he didn't realize he needed a birdie putt on 18 to make it into the top three. Good thing he did, because <laughs> otherwise he wouldn't have made it, I guess. Uh, chasing his first big win in Australia, Mark Leishman, he mounted a challenge until his round came undone with a double bogey on nine. He spread his approach into the deep rough right, chopped out to the cart path, came up short before two-putting to fall six shots off the face. He shot a 71 to finish on the chair for 10th at 7-under. So Fred Usheisen, Leishman, and Adam Scott, who missed the cut, uh, now move to the Royal Melbourne for next week's President's Cup, where they are all members of the international team. Uh, their team, Kerniels, missed the Australian Open cut, giving him some extra time to prepare for the for the tournament against the U.S. So we'll see how that fares out. But there was a big contin- contingent of the internationals playing down there in, in Australia. Yeah, uh, the big thing from this uh, Australian Open is that uh, the winner gets the Open Championship exemption. 
so that's a pretty big deal. You know, and in the past, this has been a, a really big event. Um, but, you know, with Hero World Championship last week, so the American players and, and you know, a couple of the top Europeans were playing in Tiger's deal. And then you had a few of the international team members and Ernie playing in this event. But it's just a fact, you know, these don't have as strong a field as they used to have. They just can't pay enough money down there. You know, here we on the PGA Tour, they can plow millions and millions of dollars. Uh, large corporations will pony up the money for a PGA Tour event. But the uh, Ladies' European Tour, the Asian Tour, the European Tour, they struggle to break even. We just uh, It's hard to understand why their TV exposure can't generate the kind of money they need to, to get quality players to, uh, to play in their stuff. Um, this was the second time that Jones has won this event. Adam Scott won twice. Greg Norman won it five times. It's always, it was always one of the mainstays on, on Greg's annual schedule. He always played in it. Steve Elkington won the event. Jack Nicklaus won it five times. Gary Player won it six times. Um, you know, this is back when American tour players had to travel around the world late in the year before the, before the uh, silly season or wraparound fall season schedules came along. Even Arnold Palmer won here, and this event goes back to 1904. It was not that long ago that this was a premier world golf event, but not so much anymore. That's the way the golf world changes, Carlos. All right. Before I give it to you for the Junior President's Cup, I want to mention real quick, because I want to bring down uh, the LET's final Esther Henselite was victorious at the Ladies Magical Kenya Open to win both Rookie of the Year and Order of Merit titles. She became just the third woman in the Ladies European Tour's 41-year history to win the Order of Merit as a rookie after Laura Davis in 85 and Carlotta Siganda in 2012. She captured her first LET title in Kenya with a sensational course record 64, winning by one from India's Aditi Ashok. After starting the day seven off the lead, she made five birdies on the front nine, three on the back, keeping her card clean with no drop shots. She's just 20 years old from Germany, from Hamburg, won her first pro title earlier in the year at the Skafta Open on the LED Access Series. In total, she recorded 10 top 10s from 19 starts, including a win and four runners-up, finishing to win 210,000 euros for the season, having only turned pro in January off, uh, January 7th. So, wow, a big, big move by Esther Hinselite. So, uh, a very surprising for it. She won, as a rookie, the Order of Merit. So, congratulations, sir. You want me to jump right on into the uh, Junior President's yeah. Cup? Yes, yes, sir. Uh, the American Junior President's Cup team took a 9-2 advantage into the final round singles last week at Royal Melbourne, and they needed every one of those points. Uh, Captain Justin Leonard's U.S. Junior President's Cup team held, uh, held on through a furious international team rally, which came up just short to finish off the 13-11 victory. On Sunday, temperatures were in excess of 100 degrees, and high winds swept across uh, Royal Melbourne. Internationals won five of the first six matches out in singles. 
Then uh, Bo Jin beat uh, Benjamin James. Yang Han Lee beat Jack Heath. Tacked on wins to cut the deficit to 11-8. And the possibility of an epic comeback started to become a reality. But in the end, the Internationals won 8 of uh, 12. So they went 8-4 and four in Sunday singles. So they came up just a couple points short. But uh, the comeback was very impressive. Uh, so congrats to Team USA in the Junior President's Cup, Carlos. With that, we wrap up our weekend backspin. And now we're going to say the four call. Of course, there's the President Cup this week. We're going to talk about it in the practice range. But, Fred, uh, talk to us about the KF, uh, the Corn Ferry Tour, the Q School, the Spotlight, all the news there, uh, all yours, that, that part, and then – talk about Boyne after that and we'll, then we'll go to the part five games um, the uh, Corn Ferry Tour uh, Q School the final stage is going to be held this week at Winter Garden Florida right outside of Orlando at Orange County Golf Club um, same place where they have the demo day for the uh, PGA uh, golf show every year it's 72 holes of stroke play no cut uh, you got Corn Ferry Tour players who didn't keep their cards in 2019, McKenzie, top McKenzie Tour players. You got Latino America players, China Tour players, all trying for a fully exempt Corn Ferry Tour card for 2020. Uh, a few notable names, uh, Chase Kepka is in the field, Brandon Wu, Derek Ernst, Spencer Levine, Tommy Ganey, Braden Thornberry, Kyle and Nicholas, I'm sorry, Curtis and Nicholas Thompson, Alex Kang, who is the brother of Danielle, and of course, Curtis and Nicholas are brothers of Lexi Thompson. Nicholas has been on tour. Curtis has struggled. I'm going to talk about him a little bit more in a minute. Um, more importantly, maybe are some of the people who are not there. Uh, Kate Batia didn't make it. Ricky Barnes is not there. Uh, he's going to be looking. Uh, he'll be probably trying to get some sponsors, exemptions, I'm sure. Norman Jong, uh, Michael Putnam, we've seen him win on the past. Uh, all not there. And so I want to talk just a minute about uh, Curtis Thompson. Um, you know, everything was on the upswing for Lexi's brother, Curtis. He had a successful year uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour uh, back in 2015-16. But in 17, he couldn't break 80. How does that happen? He, you know, he was ready to quit playing. Well, he did quit playing for all of 2018. He went back. He was, became a caddy at Pine Tree Golf Club down in Florida. Um, he also caddied for Lexi in a couple of LPGA events. Uh, all the while, he's asking himself, did, did he want to go back to school? Did he want to give pro golf another try? Was it time to start something different? Um, he started seeing instructors, and that even messed him up more. Uh, his old college coach at LSU had worked with Martin Hall uh, in the past, and so Curtis finally got in touch with Hall to see about working with him. And so that something kind of clicked. And they rebuilt his swing. They kind of went back to ground zero, brought it back, put it all back together. Once he began working with Hall, it all began to fall in place. And everything seems to be on the upswing once again. He won the second stage in his uh, second stage of Corn Ferry Tour Q School in Florida. He enters this week's final stage with a surge of confidence. By making final round, he's assured of some starts on the Corn Ferry Tour next year, but a top 40 finish this week would give him full status for next year. So, uh, Carlos, watch for Curtis Thompson this week at uh, Corn Ferry Tour Q School. Uh, will he be able to join his brother Nicholas and sister Lexi as full-time professionals once again? 
So, Carlos, uh, that wraps up uh, the uh, the four call. And uh, with that, just a word about Boeing real quick with Christmas just a little under three weeks away. I have an idea for a great gift for your favorite golfaholic. Gift certificates for a golf getaway to Boyne in northern Michigan. Boyne has 10 golf courses by top designers, and every course is always immaculately maintained. Plus, Boyne takes customer service and hospitality to a whole nother level. Treat your golfing friend to a gift he or she will never forget. A great trip to Boyne. This is Boyne.com forward slash golf. That's Boyne, B-O-Y-N-E dot com forward slash golf. And tell them back nine reports sent you. Carlos, back to you. <laughs> and that wraps up the four call. And now let's move on to the par five news, which we're going to play at a par four today. You know, it's a shorter course. So we're going to go to the par four. And uh, let's start talking about some changes on the CBS uh the PGA Tour is still considering bids from various outlets for rights, a deal that would begin with the 2022 season of coverage. Uh, I mean, in, in October, incumbent uh, golf broadcast partner CBS announced they were moving on from Peter Costas and Gary McCord, which was not well received by Iron Man. But those moves, along with uh, CBS announcing that Davis Love III would be added to the team coverage as analysts, were seen as a signal from CBS that they were serious about at least a soft refresh of their coverage, likely in the face of aggressive pitches from other networks. I mean, it's just a guess, but it's not hard to see other bidders pointing out the flaws uh, in CBS golf coverage. <coughs> Fred Alvarez have been, but anyway, um, as part yeah. of their own bids, uh, not that Fred has ever said anything about that. But now CBS Nothing has announced that. more change. No, 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 nothing but the best. You always have great things to say about golf coverage. So now CBS has announced more changes to their golf coverage team with longtime golf channel analyst Frank Nobilo being bumped up to full-time CBS analyst and LPGA player Michelle Wee coming in for digital coverage, including at the Masters. There were also a host of other changes, including former Masters champion Trevor Immelman joining as a coverage analyst as well. So, uh, Fred, that's the whole CBS crew, which remains fronted by Jim Nance and Nick Faldo, assuming CBS returned, retains their current rights whenever the PGA Tour makes a decision. It's likely to be the broadcast team from now into the next era of golf coverage in 2020. So, well, I mean, again, these changes aren't really what people who criticize CBS golf production and other current networks complain about though, but viewers will forgive a lot of commentary as long as the broadcast show more golf, especially more live shots from a wider variety of players. There are other issues too, to be sure, but that's an important starting point. So uh, let me shut up. I am starting to, to sound like somebody I know criticizing. Golf <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I won't do it. I, you know, I, in all fairness, Carlos, CBS, is the best. Um, I do hold them above NBC. What? And then, yeah, Fox is way <laughs> Fox is way down the list still. Fox is improving every year, but they're still bad. But, uh, uh, but CBS, I have to say, they were getting a little, a little, um, should I say, you know, like an old couch, a little bit worn, or an old pair of shoes, a little bit worn. Maybe it was time to, uh, 
you know, reupholster the couch or maybe, dare I say, get a new one. Um, and uh, this is kind of what they've done. Um, and a, a guy that I've been watching that I really like, uh, and I don't know if you've paid any attention, but Mark Immelman, Trevor's brother, is really, really good. Uh, I always enjoy listening. He caddied on tour. He's been around Trevor enough. Uh, he knows the people. He knows the players. He knows their games. He knows the courses. He knows the strategy. Uh, when he's talking, listen, because he's very, very good. Frank Napolo does a nice job uh, on a scale of 1 to 10. I give him about an 8.5. I think he's okay. Just uh, something about Frank. I, I can't bump him above about an 8.5. Uh, Davis Love, jury's going to still be out. Dottie Pepper, um, you know, she's okay. Um, and, uh, you know, Michelle Wee, this is, uh, you know, they gave her a test run this summer. Evidently she passed because they offered her a contract. So, it's going, to be, it's going to be fun. It's a new dynamic on CBS, so it's going to be kind of fun to watch. But I'm, I'm you know, really surprised that Michelle committed to an, an off-the-course golf job. It looks like she's finally going to give in to the numerous injuries that have been uh, hampering her game over the last several years. Um, you know, she just got married, so I'm sure she's thinking about maybe starting a family. I'm sure maybe that kind of played into it. Um, so... Um, Broadcasting rather than playing is a lot easier to work around than spending hours on a practice range or a putting green uh, when you're trying to be in a marriage and maybe have a family. So, uh, you know, good luck to her on that. And uh, just, you know, I, uh, Michelle, we, man, you got to love her, but I just wish she would have won a lot more. Anyway, um, CBS, I really, you know, I, I got, I have to applaud them, really, Carlos. I, you know, I, Peter Costas. I've never been a really big Peter Costas fan. I'm sorry. Uh, I did like Gary McCord, but not for the last few years. It was, you know, kind of the same old stuff over and over. Um, and David Faraday kind of saw he was able to get a good gig and more money and and uh, more stuff to do over at NBC. So he jumped ship a few years back. So. Um, you know, they kind of broke up the band a long time ago, but uh, uh, I, I kind of applaud CBS for doing this stuff, and I, I think they had to do it. There's just too many other options out there. If they want to keep their, if they want to keep the golf, if they want to get PJ Tour, they had to, they had to change some things, and by God, they tried. All right, so now let's move on to the next piece of news, and that is coming up. I'm a little surprised about uh, I don't know. I'll let you uh, decide if it's really surprising or not. But Jay Stewart Francis of Hillsborough, California, has been nominated to serve as the 66th president of the USGA. Additionally, Christopher Cupid of Jones Creek, Georgia, and Courtney Myroom of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, have been nominated to the 15-member executive committee, a volunteer group that provides strategic and financial oversight as the policy-making board of the association. Um, Fred, what is your take on this? I mean, Francis is being a member of the USCA committee for five years and has served on the compensation, equipment standards, and governance committees in addition to four years as a chair of championship committee. Um, seems like he has the credentials. Uh, so how about this? Stu Francis now being the next president there uh, of the USGA? Well, I mean, he was a player. Uh, he was a pretty good player. 
Um, he qualified for three U.S. amateurs. He played in two NCAA championships, uh, three Canadian amateur championships. So he, uh, he's been the competition. Uh, think he's not an attorney, for one thing. He's a banker, but, but, uh, which is probably the next thing to an attorney, but he, he's not, not a lawyer. Um, yeah, you're right. He's been around the USGA for, for a time, and uh, he's served his dues. Um, he's been on several committees. Um, so evidently he gets along well with, with uh, Mike Davis and the, and the uh, higher-up administrators on the day-to-day basis. He, uh, he did earn his undergrad degree uh, at Princeton. Uh, that's eh, a fairly good little institution there on the East Coast. Uh, was um, all Ivy uh, when he was there in golf, all American as a co-captain of the men's golf team. He uh, earned an MBA from Stanford University, currently a senior managing director for Evercore, a global investment banking advisory firm. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he's involved in the Silicon Valley technology uh, industry uh, banking business. So uh, he's, he's a techie. So, uh, yeah, Carlos, I don't know if there's anything, uh, you know, it's not surprising. He's, uh, he's obviously a USGA insider. He, he's got his uh, designated uh, blue blazer, khaki pants, and uh, white uh, saddle golf shoes. So, um, you know, that's the uh, uniform of the day for those guys. Um, also, at their annual meeting, um, the, um, they did away with the women's committee, which really kind of wasn't a surprise to you. So there's not a lot of surprises come out of this thing. But uh, with the USGA's evolution over the last decade, um, resulting in many of the women's committee's duties were assumed by the executive management team or the executive committee. So there was just no longer a need for it, so they just decided to disband that. They're not going to have that anymore. That doesn't really affect anybody too much. So um, no big news there, Carlos, uh, just the fact that uh, uh, we're not going to have, um, you know, Diane uh, to watch as the uh, president of the USGA. She was always a hoot. All right, let's move on to the next one. And we're talking about USGA, and this one is very related to that because weeks after the NCAA policymakers voted to allow student-athletes to benefit from the use of their name, image, and likeness in a manner consistent with the collegiate model, the USGA and the RNA announced they are reviewing their rules of amateur status the USGA and the RNA don't reference the NCAA in their news release Monday, announcing that golf's governing bodies will continue the joint effort to modernize the rules by making them easier to understand. But many who pay attention to golf will wonder if the two are related as the NCAA grapples with how to athletes take advantage of name, image, and likeness while making sure the benefits don't feed into recruiting wars. The review process by the USGA and the RNA began an early, earlier this year with input being collected from elite amateur golfers, golf event organizers, national golf associations, and other, other industry partners. The goal is to present a modernized set of amateur status rules in the late 2021 with rules going into effect January 20. January 1st, 2022. Now, in a separate move, effective January 1st, 2020, the USGA and the RNA will introduce one change to the Rule 3 to be the Rules of Amateur Status, which regulates holding one prizes. 
Those rules will no longer limit the prize an amateur golf may win when making a hole-in-one outside a round of golf, including standalone and multiple entry hole-in-one events. The change was made to help promote the game and cater to new audiences and eliminate those unnecessary restrictions for events organizers. So, Fred, again, USGA and RNA don't mention the NCAA in their press release, but uh, we all know that's who they're modeling it after. Yeah, this uh, this California rule is, uh, you know, really changing things. And uh, so they've all got to step back and take a look. And, I, and again, you know, we give the USGA a lot of grief, uh, but uh, I have to applaud them in really taking a hard look at this and kind of modernize. So, so many of these rules were made back in the day, way back, and they just really no longer apply and they need to be updated. And, and uh, this is one of those things. So um, good for them that they're doing this. And, uh, you know, just like the hole-in-one prize, you know. So, um, you know, if you remember back, um, I can't remember the name of the golfer right now who was in college in Alabama, played on the golf team and made the hole-in-one, won a million bucks, so he's immediately a pro. He loses his amateur status. And he's been a long-time pro, and he's done very well, made a lot of money, won some tournaments. Um, but uh, he was still in college at the time. Um, so now he wouldn't have to do that. He could, he could win the hole-in-one prize and, and uh, still stay an amateur. Um, but this, you know, coming back to the California law and the change in the NCAA rulings, uh, what is an amateur, what they're going to be able to accept uh, uh, by way of uh, sponsorship money or or use of their likeness or all these guys can get an agent, all that kind of stuff. Um, they're going to have to update all these rules, and they're working on that, and they're going to come out with a uh, an exact uh, policy uh, sometime down the road, Carlos. But, uh, again, I kind of have to applaud them for, for really – you know it was coming. They are kind of forced into it, but, you know, at least they're getting it done. All right, so Fred, to close it up, talk to us about Jeff Shackelford, who talks speed and power with Tiger at the Hero World Challenge. I don't know if anybody saw this article on uh, Jeff Shackelford's uh, website. He uh, talked with Tiger uh, down in Albany at the Hero World Challenge last week, and um, he uh, talked about the current state of the speed and power needed to hit 300-yard drives consistently. And Tiger noted that the more rounded golf swing of today puts more torque and pressure to bear on the torso, back, and legs. Um, you know, Tiger said, you know, these kids are starting out in their early 20s. They're so much bigger and stronger, and they're working out at an earlier age. Plus, their nutritional programs are better. Their recovery tactics are better. Everyone is getting more athletic at an earlier age. So, um, but, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, throwing a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, right? Uh, throwing a baseball is just not a natural motion for the human body. Well, same thing as swinging a golf club. Even if you round it off more, don't, you know, and don't have some funky jerks and all that kind of stuff, swinging a golf club to generate 145-mile-an-hour clubhead speed is just not a natural motion and can do a lot of damage to the body, especially the knees, the, the uh, shoulders, the hips. Um, you know, Gary Player and before him, Frank Stranahan, were pioneers in strength and conditioning for golfers. Tiger took it to a whole new level, and now kids today are 
starting at a very early age to get fit. Plus, they are just naturally stronger and faster, but joints, ligaments, and tendons may not be as strong as the muscles around them. That's when the problems begin. You know, I, we've, we've seen so many guys over the last couple of years have back issues. Jason Day comes to mind, Tiger, of course, over the last uh, several years. But uh, they swing so hard um, going at that ball with everything they got on every swing, and the, the metal heads, these large metal heads, they're, they're made so they can just whack away. You know, if they had to swing persimmon clubs a little bit and find the center of the club face, because, Carlos, I'm sure you, you – I don't know if you played with persimmon or not, but if you were off center a little bit, if you were on the toe or the heel, the ball went nowhere, right? It just – it didn't go anywhere. It just, and plus it vibrated clear up to your, to your shoulders. Um, today, I mean, if you can mishit it seemingly like a quarter of an inch, and the ball just still jumps off the club face and goes pretty much the same distance. So you just whack away at that thing, swing as hard as you can, um, and that's what, that's what we teach juniors today. Just swing hard, and uh, you'll, we'll figure it out later. But um, this stuff's hard on the body, Carlos. And, and uh, I think I, I told you a couple years ago that we're just, you know, as these guys are swinging harder and harder and they're more athletic, you know, we're just seeing the effects on the human body of this stuff. And these guys are going to have shorter careers. They're not going to have the 20- and 30-year careers that we've seen some of these guys because they swing too hard and they play too much. And the courses are they're too much hills, too much travel. It's too hard on the body. They, they just can't do it, Carlos. Well, definitely, I have to agree with that. And if somebody knows about that, it's Tiger Woods. So with that, we wrap up our Par 5 news, which was a Par 4 shorter course today. And now we move on to the VIG, very important guest of the week. That is Brian Wise, who is the owner of golftrips.com and works with golf courses across the country to find the best deals for golf in every state. He recently returned from a two-week golf trip to Thailand and gives us a report on golf and attractions in that country. So, Fred, what should we expect from this uh, interview you had with Brian? Brian's a great friend, and uh, he lives up in uh, by Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and um, he's very involved in golf and golf travel. Um, and uh, he had a chance to go to Thailand, and uh, I saw I rang him up and said, hey, let's, uh, let's tape a little interview and tell us about the trip. Uh, tell us about things we need to know over there and what you saw, and, and he did a great job of it, so just go ahead and play it, Carlos. Let's play it. We're happy to welcome Brian Weiss to Back Nine Report. Brian is the publisher of GolfTrip.com, who has traveled all over the world playing golf and helps other golfers Find the best deals in every state in the union and around the world. Brian, welcome to Back Nine Report. Hey, thanks for having me. I noticed that from your Facebook and talking to you a little bit, you just returned from a golf trip to Thailand. That seems like a long ways to go to play a little golf. Oh, it, it is. Uh, well, as you know, there's uh, the rise of the Asians uh, on the LPGA and the PGA Tour and uh, Southeast Asia has been exploding with the economic boom, and uh, golf play is on the rise, as well as golf travel. Here in the United States, uh, we don't usually use golf packages so much. We just look up, uh, we Google the resort we want to go to, or maybe read a few uh, reviews, or read a few of the raters that put stuff out there on every uh, media source available. But uh, when you're traveling abroad, it's probably a good idea maybe to use some kind of a trip packager, isn't it? 
living in the United States and, you know, we know about the Pinehursts and the uh, Pebble Beaches and planning a trip is pretty easy. But when you travel internationally, learning stuff about culture and travel and and how you're going to um, uh, go from one course or just your transfers. And, uh, you know, in the case of uh, Southeast Asia, you know, similar to Europe or, you know, Scotland and and Ireland, they, they drive on the what we would call the in, uh, incorrect side of the road. Uh, so having a packager put together both what to do on the golf course or where to play, you know, where to stay and what to do afterwards, and then have them set up your uh, transportation. Um, I, it would just be too much for uh, for one person to kind of plan out a trip. And more importantly, that packager is going to put together a, a, a driver for you to uh, to ensure you get uh, you know safely from uh, airport to golf course and uh, golf course to restaurant and et cetera. When you were traveling uh, throughout Thailand, uh, did you find a lot of opportunities to play and with a golf course in decent condition and, and what kind of costs were involved? Thailand is one of the growing destinations for Southeast Asia. And I think there's several reasons for it. One, you know, is just the cost. I mean, it is a third world or an emerging market. And uh, while hotel rooms are probably similar to the United States, the cost of golf and the cost of, you know, your overall trip is very similar to maybe, you know, a Mexican or a Caribbean experience where it's, you know, uh, very affordable. Uh, what is nice is uh, their temperatures are incredibly warm. You are trying to have a warm weather destination, maybe when there's snow on the ground or colder in the Midwest or, you know, uh, different parts of the United States. You know, you can travel. And, you know, I, I was uh, in uh, Thailand in November, and that's their winter. And 90 degrees, uh, you know, 85, 90 is their winter. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, And as far as quality of golf, you know, the trip is, we'll talk a little bit about it, I guess, uh, later, but we, it's uh, 24 hours from, you know, Chicago to fly into uh, to Thailand, and it's really a trip that, uh, you know, 14 days is kind of the, the a minimum, and um, most people will bring Bangkok because of the, you know, the name recognition and, and spend a week there, and then they'll kind of venture off to some other destinations. Uh, so when you work with a golf packager, uh, like a golf Asian.com is the um, is the packager that put together our 14 day uh, golf itinerary uh, together, and uh, we went to three other regions. We went to um, uh, Wahine. Actually, we went to four. Kanachaberry is where uh, River Kwai. I, I know that is kind of a famous uh, World War II. A movie that kind of talks about the POWs and the building of uh, of, of the railroad. A little bit uh, north of that is a um, coastal town called uh, Wahine. That is spelled with H's if anyone uh, does any Google searches on that and both letters. And then Pattaya is uh, an area south of Bangkok that has, a, I believe, a naval base. Uh, but that is also kind of a popular area to pair. Um, either one of those three areas are popular for golf packagers to package with Bangkok. I knew you did some other sightseeing and traveling around and looking at different things, uh, not just all golf. What, were, what was the most interesting thing that you did, uh, maybe not on the golf course, that, that really kind of took your breath away and said, boy, this is, I'm really glad I got to see this? <laughs> I'm going to tell you two, but hands down was the Thai massage. And uh, you know, what, is a, what is a Thai massage? Envision this. You know, when in an American Swedish massage, you have a table kind of elevated. In this case, it's a mat, and it'll be four times. It's almost 
I don't want to use the word mattress, but it's a mat, maybe four times the size of a traditional table. And the, and the physical therapist or massage therapist or masseuse, you know, um, is part of the experience in terms of, you know, they use their body or their pressure to stretch you out. So it's a cross between a deep tissue massage and I call it forced yoga. You know, they put you in poses that, uh, um, you know, you get a really uh, vigorous stretch. And at the end of the day, it's not something you're going to fall asleep to because I don't want to use the word pain, but it was a invigorating experience <laughs> of stretching that was very good for the golf game. So that was uh, that was the first. Second, I guess, uh, you know, was uh, you know just the Thai food is what Thailand's famous for, that hot and spicy food as well as kind of uh, you know the Thai green curry. So the culture, the food, um, you know, I was really shocked. We had a driver for 14 days. And it is a primarily Buddhist culture, which, mm-hmm. you know, they are very friendly. I mean, there was no horns beeping. There was no road rage. You know, everyone was incredibly polite, um, incredibly safe country to travel in. And, you know, the people were just so, you know, generally peaceful and polite that, uh, it, you know, the, the golf is... I think the best way of saying it, it's not a 36-hole destination because, you, you know, it's 18 holes and then go experience uh, the Buddhist temples and go experience a Thai massage and go experience uh, the food. One of the unique things there in Thailand is that it's a requirement that you take a caddy on every round. That, it was absolutely incredible, and 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 one of the the um, little known facts, or once you once you Google it and find out, is it's all female caddies. Uh, whether you play one hole or eighteen in a day, you are required to have a caddy. Most of them have come from the north of Thailand, and you know from an agricultural background, and they they're choosing not to live maybe the hard lifestyle of farming and do something that might be uh, more economical for them. So caddying is uh, you know a vehicle or a way Way to get out of, of that and then have a, a job and English is obviously uh, you know pretty rudimentary but they're really stewards of the golf course they're going to uh, fill your divots and fix your pitch marks um, get you um, you know water drink I and mean, it really enhances the experience to have kind of a uh, a player's assistant along the way and you know many of them can read putts pretty well but at the end of the day they are there to enhance your experience and and be uh, stewards of the of the golf course. Brian you've been all around the world playing golf uh, how do you rate the Thai experience with other locations? Europe definitely has that you know birthplace or you know uh, Scotland you know the birthplace of golf and I think you know those are almost like religious experiences uh, that, uh, you know, a, uh, an ardent golfer needs to, 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 uh, to take and journey to a Southeast Asian golf experience is, is probably that, where it's cultural experience with golf along the way. Once again, it's not a 36-hole uh, type destination. The reason why they're very close to the equator and they have pretty much 12 hours of sunlight, you know, no matter what season they're in. So to squeeze 36 holes in, plus the heat. I mean, we talked about winter being, uh, you know, in the 80s, 90s, if you go there more in the summer, um, you know, the, the heat of the day of uh, 100 plus or 110 plus is probably just a little too stifling to to golf, you know, in that middle part of the day. So, 
Many of the courses are on the Asian tour. I mean, we, we didn't really talk a lot about, about the courses, but around Bangkok, uh, they had a course called Royal Gems that was uh, 18 holes inspired by some of the greatest holes uh, on the planet. Uh, the back nine is um, uh, a complete replica or inspired by Augusta. So you do get to play some, you know, some famous holes and uh, uh, Amen Corner there. Quality of golf is, uh, as I mentioned, there's other courses that are on the Asian tour, uh, both the LPGA and uh, uh, the men's um, and Asian tours. And the quality of golf is as good as any place that I've played uh, in the planet. But once again, you know, if you're looking for 36 holes a day, you know, true golf experience, uh, nothing but golf. This isn't a trip for you. But if you want to experience Asian culture and amazing food and uh, see a different side of the world, this is a fantastic place. And I think the reason why Thailand is so sought after is China, you know, kindness country travels a little tough uh, there. Uh, the doors are wide open uh, uh, from Thailand. The Golf Packager, uh, the inbound traveler there, the Golf Asian, is really their specialty. Um, and then, you know, the the, uh, the safeness of the Buddhist culture of Thailand, is, you know, makes it just, uh, if you're headed to Southeast Asia, Thailand should be uh, first on your bucket list. We've been talking with Brian Weiss from GolfTrips.com. If you're looking for golf travel around the United States, uh, they're broken down by state. If you want to get a review on a course, you want to get some more information about traveling to a certain location, golftrips.com can help you with that. Brian, again, thanks so much for being on Back Nine Report. Hey, thank you. That was it, Brian Wise there. So, Fred, anything you want to add before we move on to our practice range? Yeah, we talked about the, he talked a little bit about the cost there. Just to give you an idea, um, you know, the wage a, 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 a wage for an average worker on a day is like $10 a day. So their driver that they had for the 14 days, they were only paying him like $10 a day. Um, so, I mean, you can get these services. You know, the golf is a lot cheaper. Um, if you, it, The only bad thing is it's 24-hour travel to get there. It, it's a long ways. When you go there, you want to go for at least 10 days probably. You want to take in the culture. You want to see the country. Play a little golf while you're there. Um, I, I, did, I forgot to ask him about rental clubs rather than dragging your clubs all the way over there. Maybe you can just rent, rent clubs at each place for, for a reasonable fee. If you only want to play four or five rounds and, and see the country, maybe that's the way to go. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I've, I've heard a lot about golf in Thailand over the years. I've talked to several people that have been over there, so it's absolutely wonderful. So if you're looking for an exotic getaway, an exotic destination, and you want to play a little golf while you're there, you know, check into it a little bit more. Uh, if you're more interested, give me a shout. I'll, uh, I'll hook you up with Brian. He can tell you all the ins and outs. There you have it. Now let's talk practice range. Every week, Fred and I pick a topic, and each one of us take our own shots at it. And this week, we're going to be talking about the President's Cup, where the USA seeks to retain the President's Cup this week at Royal Melbourne Golf Club, having won the last seven editions. Tiger Woods will act as playing captain for his uh, for this 13th edition, a role that has been only seen once in the history of the event. That was Hale Irwin in 1994. After Woods picked himself as the captain's final captain's pick, uh, Woods is going to be up against Ernie Els with the pair sharing history in the event after the duo went out and played three playoff holes at Fancourt in 2003 before the match was team and a half. Royal Melbourne hosts for the third time 
after 1998 and 2011. And it was in 1998 where the internationals won their one and only President's Cup. Peter Thompson's international team beat Jack Nicholas USA side 20.5 to 11.5. That was a beating. Overall, though, the USA leads 10-1-1 after 12 President's Cups. Uh, Royal Marabon's stunning West and East courses are combined for the composite course, which was born in 1959 at the World Cup. World Cup of Golf. It features 12 holes from the higher rank West and six from the East. The President's Cup takes place over four days, unlike the three in the Ryder Cup with play beginning on Thursday. President's Cup, the order of play, Thursday they will play five four-ball matches. Friday it will be five foursome matches. Saturday morning, four four-ball matches. Saturday afternoon, four foursome matches. Then on Sunday will be 12 singing matches. So in total, there are 30 matches and 30 points to be won, unlike 28 in the Ryder Cup. Each team is made up of 12 players, which we will be talking about pretty soon. But first of all, I'm going to pass it on to you, Fred, to talk a little bit about what the President Cup is and what you uh, have seen so far. Well, um, this thing started back in 1994. This is the 13th rendition. Uh, past record is 10-1-1 with the U.S. winning 10. Uh, internationals only winning once, and normally they get beat pretty soundly on every occasion. Uh, so it has been very lopsided, and they really need to have the internationals start winning. Matter of fact, it probably even is past that they need the internationals start winning. Um, one of the reasons for they probably had to beg Tiger to be president or be captain this time is they are clear down in Melbourne and, you know, they, they need to get some TV ratings for this thing. And so uh, I'm sure they kept bugging him to play as well. Um, so with that being said, uh, you talked a little bit about the format. One of the things with this, uh, there's 30 points. So it's not kind of like the Ryder Cup where you can hide guys during the team events over the first couple of days. Uh, this is one day longer, and those first couple days, everybody plays. So there's five foursome matches, there's five four-ball matches on the first couple days. And um, so whether somebody's playing poorly, you got some poor teams, uh, whatever, you can't sit them. you got to play them. So that really is a disadvantage for the internationals, that maybe they got some players that they want to try and hide a little bit. Uh, can't do it. Got to get them out there. Got to trot them out. Now on Saturday they cut it back and they don't. Everybody doesn't have to play in both sessions. You can you can sit sit a couple guys. So um, that that's where they save. You know maybe maybe they can make some hay on Saturday. We'll see. But then on Sunday everybody plays in singles. So um, you know why have the Presidents Cup? Well, it's real simple. Always follow the money. PGA Tour wanted to have a big money draw just like the Ryder Cup. Well, the Ryder Cup belongs to PGA, and the tour was jealous. So they wanted some of that big money that the PGA earned every two years from the Ryder Cup. So they saw an opportunity to involve the rest of the world versus the team from the U.S., and voila, we've got the President's Cup. Um, but if the internationals can't start winning and winning soon, no one is going to give a you know, rats, what, you know, whatever about this thing, and it's almost there already. 
Um, yeah, there's a little bit of buildup to it, but it's just it, it's not like a Ryder Cup that we've been talking about it for six months and can't wait to watch every match. Um, you know, people are going to watch some of it. It is going to be in prime time, so, you know, they'll probably flip back and forth a little bit uh, at the timeouts at the football game or something. But um, with Tiger in the mix, that's going to draw some eyeballs. Um, and uh, Carlos, it, 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 the other big thing for me is just that it's at Royal Melbourne. And uh, I, every time I see this golf course, I just drool. I want to, I want to see it so bad. Um, and this golf course, when you're watching it, it, it has the wide fairways like Augusta. Uh, but the trouble starts where you hit approach shots to the greens. They're, they're very, very undulating, and they're very fast. And you must be in the correct spot on those firm and fast greens. There's going to be a lot of balls rolling off, uh, and you're going to be a lot of doing a lot of chipping, uh, putting. There's going to be three putts. Putting is going to be a premium. And what I want fans to notice are the slopes on the greens that entice the balls to roll off into bunkers or off into greenside collection areas. These are typical McKenzie designs. Uh, just think of Augusta National, and, and uh, um, you, you know, you'll kind of figure it out. Um, also notice the bunkering in the fairways with the, the deep bunkers and sharp edges uh, and the balls that will maybe be two feet away or four feet away, and but the sloping kind of sucks them into the bunkers. So. Um, these are, again, typical McKenzie-type features. It, it, they, they, he makes beautiful golf courses. So, uh, Carlos, that's a little bit about that, and I'll, I'll just flip it back over to you then. All right, let's talk about teams now. Uh, like I said, each, each team is made up of 12 players with the USA missing world number one, Brooks Kepka, who withdrew with a knee injury and was replaced by Ricky Fowler. The internationals lost former world number one, Jason Day, to a back injury, with Benny Ann coming in as a replacement. Ernie Els side features a record nine different nationalities and four brand new nationalities for the President's Cup, as Joaquin Neiman from Chile, C.T. Pan from Chinese Taipei, Abraham Anser from Mexico, and Hao Tong Lee from China, all make the first appearance for their respective nations in the competition. The international side also has seven rookies, while the USA, which is missing its most experienced player in Phil Mickelson, oh, no, Phil is missing, <laughs> has five. <laughs> Phil's so, already to go to Saudi Arabia. He ain't got time. <laughs> yeah, he's already there, I think. But anyway, Mickelson has failed to make the side, which is the first time he hasn't been on a U.S. Ryder Cup or President's Cup team since 1993. Lefty holds the record for most President's Cup points won with 32.5, as well as most foursomes with 14 and four balls with 13. Target Woods holds the record for most singles points won with six. The international's most experienced player is Adam Scott. With the Aussie making his ninth appearance, he has never been on the winning side. Uh, of course, the big story we already talked about it is uh, heading into this week is Patrick Reed after what we already talk at large what happened at the Hero World Challenge and then Cameron Smith asking for uh, for the crowd to give it to Reed as well as the entire uh, USA team while Mike Mark Lishman said the crowd has ammo on the Texan and uh, the USA are big favorites right and they uh, if you want to see some perspective of it the entire US team ranks in the top 
25 of the official World Golf Rankings, while only three members of the international side are in the top 25. So how about the teams? How would you see the pairings uh, filling up here for both sides? Well, I think the U.S. team is relatively easy. Um, And these are the pairings that I probably – these make the most sense to me, okay? So then you can take pot shots at them. But Tiger Woods with Gary Woodland, and I would probably play those, you know, foursome and four ball. And probably all these I would just carry through all the way. Um, Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Tony Female. They would be fun to watch in four ball. Man, both those guys bombing away. That would be fun to watch. Patrick Reed with Pat Cantley. They had success at Zurich. They've played together before. Um, and then Kucher and Webb Simpson. They should be dynamite in foursomes. Um, my only question is, would you want to keep them together in four ball? Would you want to split them up? Put, uh, maybe, maybe put either... Uh, Johnson and Kucher together and Finau and Simpson together or something like that in four ball. I'm not sure about that. But uh, my only other question after that, Carlos, is with the Reed incident, will they still keep Cantley with Reed? Will Tiger take Reed as a partner for the week and drop Gary Woodland down with Patrick Cantley? I think he really wants to play with – I think Tiger really wanted to play with Gary Woodland. But giving all the press around Reed, Tiger may have to take Reed with him and put Woodland down with uh, with Cantley or with someone else. So move things around a little bit. And and uh, any way you put it, the American team is so much stronger than the international. I just don't I don't see a chance for him. Now on the other side, um, for Ernie. He's got four top players, Adam Scott, Hideki, Ustaisen, and Leishman. He's got to get the most out of those four guys. They have to play some of the best golf of their life for the international to have even a chance. So does he put those four guys together? Does he put, say, Adam Scott, Hideki, Matsuyama together? Does he put Louis Ustaisen along with, with Leishman? Uh, to make two of the strongest teams possible? Or does he split them up? Uh, one natural team seems to be the Koreans, uh, Sun J.M. and Benny An. Um, can you pair Watong Lee and C.T. Pan together? One's from China, one one's from Taiwan. I don't know how that would work out and how they get along. I, I don't know. Uh, that still leaves Adam Hadwin, Abraham Answer, Cameron Smith, and then Joaquin Neiman. Um, so Cameron Smith could go with Leishman as well. You know, they're, they're both Aussie guys. Maybe that would work better. And that would leave Usti to pair up with, say, Neiman, to kind of be a veteran to go with the, with the rookie Neiman. So uh, he's got a lot of questions. I, and I, he, the only way you know that is for him to be out there playing with him and talking to him to find out whose game thinks works with who the best whose personalities mesh the best. Because when you're playing foursomes and your guy, your partner keeps hitting it into junk and saying, you know, <laughs> saying, you know, go get him, partner. Um, you know, that gets, to, that gets to be old real quick. So 
you got to kind of be friends with this deal, especially when you're playing foursomes, because that can be a that can be a rough game. But it's a real Rubik's cube for Ernie Els, from what I'm looking at. Um, maybe you see something different, Carlos. But uh, those are kind of things that I see. All right. Let me give it a try. I think the only issue I don't see Patrick Reed as much as an issue. Uh, to be paired with for for Tiger Woods. I've always said it, I keep saying it, and I will say it one more time. The biggest issue to pair for Tiger Woods is Hulk. That's the one that he has to worry about. I mean, who is he going to pair Hulk with? And you know who who Hulk is, right? (laughs) The new 20 pounds heavier? (laughs) 20? Man, he looks like he like Lou Ferrigno, Bryson DeChambeau. Is that right? I, oh yeah, I don't know if you've seen him, but I saw I a, seen a picture yeah. of him. I saw a picture of him walking with Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler looks like a little kid to his son. <laughs> a little kid. I, I didn't. How I did he gain so much son. weight so fast? We're only talking about know. two months. He's so he's already thirty pounds up. He was 190, he said, and he's 220, and he wants to go to, to 230. I mean, that's ridiculous the way that he has bulked up. Uh, why? I mean, if he just wanted to go that route, I mean, he just should have gone with Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. But, wow, I mean, not, I mean, being fair, still, I don't know how he can match, with, match up with anybody uh, right now. I, I think Patrick Reed will be paired with Webb Simpson. I strongly think so. Webb is a calming presence on that team and can complement maybe Webb can maybe Webb maybe Webb can pray for him. Well Webb remember who did Bobba Watson play with? <laughs> Webb Simpson. Yeah, I know. He was know. nobody wanted to play with uh with Bubba. Patrick is on the same boat right now. Who's going to play with him? I strongly think it's going to be Webb Simpson. Plus, their their styles just complement each other. That's how I, I think they're going to be. I think Tiger wants to play with Justin Thomas. I think we saw a little bit of that in the Hero World Challenge. Uh, they played together those first two rounds. They're friends. Uh, you know, they, they, they've played together many times. And I think that's the one, the pairing that I think Tiger is going to be doing. Um I agree with you and Dustin Johnson and, and, and Tony Finau. I think those are going to be two that are going to be paired together. Uh, Gary Woodland, uh, I see him with uh, Patrick Cantley um, or Ricky Fowler, really. Uh, there's going to be, a, again, the, the odd man out is Bryson DeChambeau. Well, maybe Matt Kutcher. Hey, Put all the two boys together that have had the bad pre- the bad press all year. Have them all there, okay, <laughs> just in one piece. You know, it's just one point that you're gonna lose. Get them there, Matt Kuchar with uh, with the caddy thing and Patrick Reed. I mean, they're both meant to be. Just give up that point and that's it. Don't don't split them up. Sanders should play then with Gary Woodland or or Tony F- or Ricky Fowler. Xander uh, Shoffley is another player, very interesting, that could match up either with Patch, with uh, with Matt Kutcher, or again Bryson DeChambeau. I don't know what they're gonna do, but uh, 
Yeah, I agree with with you. There's going to be an issue there with Patrick. Uh, but to me, the, the biggest one is Bryson DeChambeau. On the internationals, uh, I strongly think you got to give your best shot with your two best players right now, which are Adam Scott and Hideki Matsuyama. You got to put them up there and try to see if you can pull out a point. Now, the fourth, the the other player that you have is Mark Leishman, Louis Heisner, to your other two veterans. They have to pair with somebody because if you can go and try to see, okay, let me see if I can get two out of the five matches, which it's not like in the Ryder Cup, which is four. You have to try to win two and try to maybe make a third. But, yeah, the the Koreans, Sung J.M. and Benny Ann, uh, I think that should be a, a, a pairing. I think Mark Leishman will play with uh, Cameron Smith, and Louis Heisen uh, might be playing with Adam Hadwin. I have another pairing for you, and this one makes a lot of sense because they're the only two Latin American players and have a lot in common in that, and that's Abraham Anser and Joaquin Neiman. Those should be the two. Now that would leave C.T. Pan and Li Hao Tong to be the other two, the odd man out. Uh, but to me, I see Abraham Anser and Joaquin Neiman going to play. Leishman with Cameron Smith, Hideki Matsuyama and Adam Scott as the top two players. And use Heisen with Adam Hadwin, who's playing really, really well lately as well. So uh, that's the way that I see it. But still... I'm going to give it to you now so you can give uh, one more shot at it before I am going to make a case for the internationals. <laughs> Good luck with that one. Well, you and I are really pretty much on the same page, really, for the internationals. Uh, you know, it's kind of the same same thing. You know, you, you split up, you, you put Adam and Hideki together, you split up Uthi and Leishman, Leishman and Smith or the Aussies, so you put them together. Um, you made a good point putting uh, Oosthuizen uh, with Hadwin. Uh, I had thought about that, but uh, I, I wasn't sure. I thought maybe the veteran with the, with the kid. But um, Neiman and Anser together, yeah, that's that's a good possibility as well. Um, the ones I forgot to address were Shoffley and DeChambeau. And uh, Shoffley you can put with anybody. Um, DeChambeau is the wild card. Who do you put with him? So, um, maybe it's not as big an issue as what we're making it. Maybe the guys already have it all figured out. But uh, it'll be interesting to see just how the teams fall out and, and see what they do. Uh, Carlos, I, I'm going to definitely be watching. I, I think the Americans run away with this thing by at least five points. Um, I, I just don't see how it can be. I don't see how it can be close. Um, you know, if they go, yeah, they're winning a point every day. Uh, at least, so you know that's four right there. Uh, in, in in singles, I can't see them maybe picking up four points in singles alone. So uh, going eight and four, that wouldn't surprise me. So yeah, I don't I don't think it's going to be close, Carlos. You don't think it's going to be close? No. You so you, you don't give them the slightest. going to do it. You don't give them the slightest chance to win. Not even not. at home. You, know, you don't? I do not. Oh, God, man. that's You're harsh on them. You're really harsh, I am harsh. harsh on them. But, I, uh, I love them. I, I mean, I love so, Ernie. What do you think? Yeah, go ahead. Give me a score that you think is going to be. Well, you know, there's 30 points. So, um, you know, 18-12, something like that. 
to come up there from the internationals. You have a Joaquin Neiman and Abraham Anser. They are fearless. Lee Hao Tong is another player which is fearless and is gonna, not going to be faced by this. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama, if you go for the veterans, is playing his best ball all year. Now in the fall, he's been in the top 10 six times, and one time was the 11. Uh, Mark Leishman is by far one of the best players there, one of the best strikers, and it's a home hero there. He has the home field advantage, Cameron Smith. Uh, Luis Heisen seems to be playing well. Uh, lately as well so their team might not be as highly ranked but it's full of players that can just come out and go for a number four reason which is the captain Tiger Woods is a captain but he's a playing captain by the end of the week he should be really exhausted really exhausted will he be making the really good calls and all that. Will he really make those players rally around him? It's more likely with so many rookies and so many younger players on the international side that they might be looking up for Ernie and wanting to play for him. So he might be able to have that edge on the captaincy part because those players don't know better than that. They're not a Justin Thomas, an accomplished Dustin Johnson, uh, you know, a, win, a major winner like Gary Woodland, uh, not a none of those big time players that could tell Tiger, no, nah, you know, <laughs> I, I I know what I'm doing. But in a rally point towards a captain and wanting to play for him and wanting to give him some revenge for what happened before between Tiger and, and Ernie in uh, in the President's Cup in 2003. Those international players might be it. So I wouldn't count them out as easy as everybody is. I do expect the Americans to win at the end, but I do not see it as a big margin there because there's a lot of uh, a lot of play that could finally uh, be playing in favor of the internationals. Don't discount them. I I hope you're right, Carlos. I I really do. Um, and I and I will say this. Uh, as I was going through this uh, uh, yesterday and today, Watong Lee for me is kind of a wild card in this thing because he's a really good player. Um, mm-hmm. And if he's on his game this week, um, he could be a difference maker for the international team. If he could, you know, if he could scratch out about four points, um, he could make up some of that deficit because Ernie needs uh, like two more guys. Uh, of his four top guys, he needs all four of them to play, but he still needs he still needs half the team to be playing well. And um, you know, Watong Lee could be one of those guys. And then if the other uh, seven guys could kind of mom and pop it, you know, play well in spurts um, in, in certain matches, um, then they might have a chance. But um, if they just play their normal games, the Americans run away. All right, we'll see. We'll see. I, I still think it's going to be a close one. I I totally see the the internationals rallying up and facing the American powerhouse and uh, up and down, make it to the end there. I think this is going to be decided in the singles. They're going to have a chance to win it, and the singles will be the the difference maker there. But I still see 
two players in the in the American side in Patrick Reed and uh and Bryson DeChambeau being the odd man that they have to just play. And uh we'll see, we'll see. But the hog, the incredible hog, Bryson DeChambeau gaining twenty five <laughs> pounds of muscle after following that very training regimen with Greg Rotskoff. But anyway, anything else before we move on to our final pots? Nope, ready to go. Let's do it. All right, so I'm going to give you the two that we had originally. I'm just going to add here that Rory McIlroy has ruled out competing at next month's European Tour events in Saudi Arabia. Uh, as we talked about, Tiger Woods last week had turned down an invitation to play in the second edition of the Saudi International. Uh, right now, uh, Rory McIlroy refused to deny a report that he had been offered a $2.5 million appearance fee to play at the Saudi International, but he told uh, Golf Channel, I'm going to quote him, it's not just something that would excite me. You could say that about so many countries, not just Saudi Arabia, but a lot of countries that we play in that there's there's a, no reason not to, a reason not to go, but for me, I just don't want to go. 100%, there's a morality to it as well. I think the atmosphere looks better at the events of the West Coast of the U.S., and I'd much rather play in front of big golf fans and play in a tournament that really excites me. So uh, there you see Roy McIlroy taking stands, not only you know, on the unlike Tiger Woods, who didn't offer a, a big explanation as to not, not to go, and has said, yeah, he's uh, against what, they have been talking about the, the, the killing of the of the journalist uh, Khashoggi, but Roy McIlroy was more direct and said, you know, I, that, the culture and everything else doesn't attract me. So two big names expressing no, and, uh, of course, he must have been uh, offered uh, an appearance fee, and I, I'm sure it was around there, on the $2 million or more, but big time Roy says no to the Saudi international event. Uh, Carlos, just real quick, I wanted to uh, kind of give a shout-out more than anything else to actor Gary Sinise. You know, he's the actor who played Lieutenant Dan in uh, Forrest Gump. He works tirelessly with U.S. military veterans' families, and uh, he took over a 1,000 children of fallen soldiers to Disney World free of charge. Uh, his foundation, he raises a lot of money uh, for this uh, for these uh, things, and uh it's not really golf related. I just wanted to get a plug in for him. He does a great job, um, and uh, you know, just uh, I, hope, I hope he keeps it up. Also, uh, Merry Christmas from the Memorial Tournament. They released their charitable contribution this week. Uh, officials of Memorial Tournament announced that last year's um, Memorial raised uh, 2.2 million for Nationwide Children's Hospital of the $2.65 million total that they raised for organizations in Central Ohio. Uh, that brings the total to $35 million since inception of the tournament. So, Carlos, uh, the December issue of Ohio Golf Journal will go out in the morning, so watch your email inboxes for that. If you don't receive a copy, you can always get it at ohiogolfjournal.com. Also, Back Night Report TV will be putting some new videos up on there uh, over the next week or two here over the holidays. I've got a bunch of stuff we're going to be putting up. Uh, also, I'll be putting up a uh, video about my trip to Mexico to uh, Cabo San Lucas. Uh, 
beautiful, beautiful views in that. Uh, everybody's going to want to see that. So, Carlos, that's all I got for you tonight on uh, December the 10th, 2019. Merry Christmas. I had one more story, and I finally found it here in my notes. <laughs> and it was, a, you know, a little while ago we said – Long while ago, yeah, we talked about Jack Nicholas Rolex was going to be sold for auction. You know, for how yeah, much it yeah. sold? Yeah, one million dollars. Yeah, one yeah. million dollars. So, yeah, you know, we were talking about that last week. Began, and, and, yeah. yeah, go ahead. We, we were talking about among the when I was on the trip last week, how much everybody thought that would bring, and I, I said, you know, I'd probably bring at least a million and maybe a million five. Um, and everything, you know, they were there's like two, four, or five minutes, and nah, probably not that, but but around a million, a million five, and by golly, that's what it did. That's surprising. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, the bidding uh, began at five hundred thousand, and experts on CNBC's Squawk Box had speculated that the watch could eclipse a record of seventeen point eight million that Paul Newman's Rolex sold for in 2018. But despite the stature of the watch in golf's history. The final bid didn't come close, but at least, you know, a good thing. Uh, the money raised uh, through the auction benefits the Nicholas Children's Healthcare Foundation, created by Jack and his wife, Barbara, in 2004. So with that, Back Niners, we wrap up another week of the Back Nine Report. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VIG, very important guest of the week, Brian Wise. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. Or if you missed it, check it out on iTunes or tune in also on local TV. And if you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Pac-9 Report with the number 9 in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Fred Vader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Merry Christmas, Golfaholics.